All right, my friends, ladies and gentlemen, welcome to Daily Power Parsha, also known as, by its acronym DPP, Hanukkah Edition. So my friends, as we started off, welcoming everybody, I want to, welcome, I want to wish everybody a happy Hanukkah. Hanukkah is the Festival of Lights, and it is all about the idea of illuminating the darkness. In a world that can so often feel so cold and so dark, Hanukkah reminds us of our mandate, of our calling to light a candle, even if you just have one, even if you have just enough energy to light one candle, day one of Hanukkah reminds us to light that one light. And you might think, well, what's the point? I light one light, it's not going to make a difference anyway, it's, it's unnecessary, it's superfluous, it's, it's, you know. Torah reminds us, Judaism reminds us, Hanukkah reminds us, do what we can. And I want to tie it into the story with the daughter of Pharaoh. Da- uh, the daughter of Pharaoh's name was Batya. This is fast forwarding a little bit because we're still in the middle of the, the story of, of Yosef, the story of Joseph. Hey, Donna. And as Joseph's story evolves, the people end up, the Jewish people, the Jewish family ends up in Egypt and then slavery begins. Kind of fast forwarding a little bit through the, through the narrative. And ultimately, Moses is born, and at three months old, his mother cannot hide him anymore from the authorities who wished every Jewish boy murdered, God forbid. So she hides him in a basket on the Nile River. He's floating on the Nile River, famously, right? The Torah tells us that the daughter of Pharaoh, Bacha, goes out. She's by the river, and she sees, or she's in the river, She's swimming, bathing, whatever, and she sees this basket float by. And she stretches out, she stretches out her arm. And she collects the basket. With the, she sees a child, the basket with the child, and she rescues Moses, raises him as a son, and the rest is history. Well, what's interesting is that our sages tell us that as she stretched out her hand, and I'm sure you, some of you may know this, as she stretched out her hand, a miracle happened. What's the miracle? Help me out here. What happened to her hand, her arm? Became longer. Became longer. It extended the old extendo arm, the old Gumby extendo arm. And what happens? Her arm unfolds. It says amata, her, her arm, but it was ama al ama. It was cubit by cubit, it extended. And she was able to collect the child in the basket, basket and the child, and um, rescue the child safely. But as the commenters ask, I've shared it many, many times before, the commenters ask a simple question, and that is, if, right, go, go, gadget arm, exactly. The question is, if she couldn't reach the child, if the, chi- if, the ba- if the basket was so far away that her arm had to extend, so why did she even reach her arm out? It says, when she reached out her arm, it extended. But why reach if it's so far? Most of us would look at something that's far away and say, shrug. You know, ah. And then if we shrug and the arm extends, it's just going to go up. right? It's not going to go out. So like, you know, oh, I-, I wish I could do something, but I can't. And the story reminds us, the story of Moses and Bacha and the rescue reminds us that we should never hold ourselves back from reaching out, even when it seems like our efforts will not be sufficient. Even though it might seem like it's futile, like what's the point? It's just one light, it's just one, I'm just sticking on my arm, but I can't reach anyway, what's the point? The Torah tells us, the Torah teaches us, Bacha teaches us, do it anyway, because... Give it time, it's going to work. The arm is going to extend. The one light will turn into two, which will turn into three, which will turn into four, and the, the darkness will be 
gone and goodness will prevail. All right, so with that, with that Hanukkah lesson under our belt, let's jump back into our story. Torah portion this week is Miketz, and I'll pull it up in a moment and share my screen with you, but let's quickly recap what happened last week. Last week primarily was a story of Yosef, the story of Joseph. As a young man, his brothers are jealous of him. His brothers wish to kill him. They throw him into a pit. They eventually pull him out and sell him as a slave. He ends, he ends up in Egypt working for a fellow named Potiphar. He's very successful there as a slave. Framed, gets framed for a crime he didn't commit against Potiphar's wife and thrown into a dungeon. In the dungeon, again, he's successful. He rises to the top. He's, he's imminently successful. And or eminently successful, whatever the right word is there. And um, ultimately, he, oh, and then eventually he interprets the dreams of two of his fellow inmates, the royal butler and the royal baker. He successfully interprets their dreams. He tells the baker, when the baker's leaving, by the way, don't forget me, put in a good word. But as the Torah portion concluded last week, the Torah says that the butler um, did not remember Joseph when he got out. In fact, he forgot him. Which leads us to this week's Torah portion, Miketz, the continuation of the story, and it will get only better, from, not better, it will get only more dramatic. There we go, from here. Thank you, Donna. Okay. I'm going to pull up my screen. Let's get Miketz going. Um, here we go. Did the online crew see the... Oh, no, Online Crew did not see that. Hold on, hold on, hold on. Let's, let's do a quick pan, panorama. Take a look. Here we go. We have our Hanukkah bear. Hanukkah bear with a kippah. There you go. Hanukkah bear with kippah on a beautiful Hanukkah cat. Oh, look at that. Yeah. Bears and cats, okay. <laughs> with, a, with a lovely Hanukkah crystal dreidel. And yeah, it's like glass fuse, kind of like what we oh, do. Oh, fuse glass. The By the way, they're coming today. We're getting the mezuzah cases back. Okay, so many exciting things. All right, excellent. So we're definitely in the, in the holiday spirit. We got our donuts and, and gelt and dreidels, as I pointed out before. And now let's jump into the Torah reading for today. Okay, we're going to start from reading number one. Miketz. Genesis chapter 41. So in the Chumash, it's page 268, 269. And I am going to read the Chumash version, and I'll reconcile it with the online version. It's going to be very similar as always. So Genesis chapter 41, verse number 1, the Torah tells us it was at the end, 268, 269. Yeah. At the end of two years, or it came to pass at the end of two full years, that it happened that Pharaoh was dreaming, and look, behold, he was standing by the Nile. So understand that there's a heavy, heavy emphasis on dreams in the Joseph narrative. Like, throughout the beginning of the Torah, I don't remember many dreams. Adam wasn't told to be a dreamer. I don't remember Noah's dreams. Abraham, Isaac, Jacob had a dream of a ladder. Okay, he had one dream. But Joseph, my gosh, everywhere he goes, he's, he's, he's surrounded by dreams. He had a few dreams that he shared with his brothers. Okay. The butler and the baker have dreams. Now Pharaoh has dreams. All, all these dreams. I'm going to share with you a deeper message about dreams in a moment. But let's just re get, let's get into the narrative first a little bit. So Pharaoh is dreaming. 
And behold, he was standing by the Nile. In other words, in his dream, there he is by the Nile River. The Nile River, of course, is the main, the main sustenance of Egypt, the place where it doesn't rain a lot. The, the land, the people survive off, that, off of that Nile River. Verse number two. Then from the Nile, behold, look, there were seven nice-looking, well-built cows coming up. Here it says, handsome appearance and robust flesh. Okay, basically seven healthy cows. And they pastured in the marshland. Then look, behold, seven other ugly-looking thin cows were coming up after them from the Nile. And they stood beside the other cows on the bank of the Nile. So what's happening here is that he has in his dream seven healthy cows emerging from the Nile, followed by seven unhealthy cows, thin, lean cows, unhealthy cows emerging from the Nile River. And they stood beside each other. So the first were the seven healthy cows, and then the seven unhealthy cows, and they were standing side by side for a total of 14 cows. Verse number four. And then the ugly-looking thin cows devoured the seven nice-looking, well-built cows, and then Pharaoh woke up. So the thin cows eat the bigger cows, the healthy cows, and that's the end of the dream. Pharaoh wakes up. Can you imagine? What a, what a weird dream. What a bizarre dream. All right, verse number five. Pharaoh fell asleep and dreamed again. And look. So again, so he had this dream, and he goes back to sleep, as many people do after a dream. You fall back, you wake up. Oh, wow, what a, I had a dream. All right, middle of the night, going back to sleep. So he fell asleep, and he had another dream. And look, seven healthy and good ears of grain were growing up, uh, were growing on one stalk. Verse number six. And then look, behold, seven thin ears of grain parched by the east wind were growing up after them. Verse seven. And then the thin ears of grain swallowed up the seven healthy and full ears of grain. So you have the same story repeating itself with the ears of grain. You have seven big, robust, healthy ears of grain followed by seven thin, emaciated ears of grain, and the thin ones eat the healthy ones. Let's continue, middle of verse 7. And Pharaoh woke up, and now he had a dream. That was a complete dream that needed to be interpreted, as Rashi said. It was a full-on dream. Why, is it, why does Rashi say it's a complete dream? I mean, he dreamt it, dreamt it twice and it was the same dream twice. Basically, the seven full and healthy followed by seven thin and unhealthy, and the seven thin and unhealthy are consuming the other ones. I mean, there's got to be a message here. It's such a bizarre dream. Cows and ears of grain. Also, as the Rebbe explains, Pharaoh was a leader. He was a ruler of a country. And Pharaoh realized that if he has a dream, it's not just like a personal message. Like, oh, Pharaoh, you should do this, that. He realized that if he had a dream, as Pharaoh, the dream probably is of national importance. It's probably a, you know, a, a big dream with, with, with big ramifications. Like a prophecy. Like a prophecy, yeah. So he's now very concerned about what does it mean. 
So what happens? So the next, next thing you know, Pharaoh's looking for the meaning. Verse number eight. So in the morning, his mind was buzzing with agitation. It's interesting. That's an interesting translation or Chumash. In the online version, it says, now it came to pass in the morning that his spirit was, was troubled. Okay, here in the, in the Chumash version, it says, in the printed version, it says his mind was buzzing with agitation. That sounds more contemporary. That sounds very contemporary. His mind was buzzing with agitation. I don't know. I think the online version maybe is probably a little bit more classic. His spirit was troubled. He was, he was anxious. He, he had these dreams, and he didn't know what it meant, and he knew that it must mean something, and it's probably something important because he had it twice. He had the same dream twice, so it's probably like something he should be getting on and, and, and getting on top of, but what does it mean? So what does he do? He sends for help. So he sent messengers and called all the sorcerers of Egypt and all its sages. He called, in, in, in this online version, it says he called all the necromancers of Egypt and all its sages. Necromancers, sorcerers. He basically called all the people that dabble in the supernatural. He said, look, I had a dream. I think it's a premonition. I think it's a vision. I think it's a prophecy. I think it's something, you know, foretelling and foreshadowing destiny. And I need some spiritual, you know, insight on this. I need someone to give me the, the explanation. All right? So he calls all these people. And then Pharaoh related his dreams to them. But no one interpreted them satisfactorily for Pharaoh. Yeah, there are all these theories. But no one actually gave him a good answer. What does it mean? Something that he didn't like? I mean. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So Rashi actually, Rashi quotes from the sages what, what these, inter like an example. For example, the, um, some of the interpretations said, you'll have seven daughters and then you're going to bury seven daughters. So they'll be born and then they'll die. It just didn't resonate. It's like the seven healthy and the seven thin means like they'll be born and then they'll die. It didn't resonate with him. Um, or another, another interpretation they gave was seven countries. You'll conquer seven countries and then they're going to rebel against you. It's the healthy ones and then the thin ones. It's going to be good. Then it's not going to be good. You'll conquer lands and then they're going to rebel against you and overthrow you. I don't know. It just didn't... Uh, it didn't, it, it didn't resonate as being, you know, as that was the message. It just didn't resonate for him. Okay. So there, there, were, there were theories. It didn't resonate. Let's continue with verse number, uh, number nine. Here's where it gets, and, and we're in the Chumash, we're on page 271 now. So now what happens is the chief butler, yeah, the cupbearer, the butler, spoke to Pharaoh saying, he says, I remember my mistake. <laughs> yeah, I have to mention my wrongdoings today. I'm sorry. He, he starts off apologetic. He says, my bad. Today I apologize. For what? So he launches into the, into the story. This is two years later after he got up. He says, my, I need to recall my mistakes. Verse number 10, when Pharaoh was angry with his servants and he put me in prison in the house of the chief slaughter, both me and the chief 
baker. Verse number 11. So when that happened, we both dreamed a dream on the same night. Each person, me and the baker, had a dream that clearly depicted his destiny. So each one of us had a dream, and the dream actually foretold our own destiny. But we didn't know what it was. That's the implication. We had no idea what the dream meant. But we knew that it was significant. Well, verse number 12. This is still the chief butler um, speaking to Pharaoh. And there with us, there was a Hebrew lad with us, a slave of the chief slaughter, and we told the dreams to him. He interpreted our dreams for us. He gave each person a feasible interpretation of his dream. So the chief butler says, Pharaoh, oh dear King Pharaoh, I recall today my mistake. That's kind of a double meaning to that. Number one, he recalls the time that he, the, the two years ago when he did time for his serving Pharaoh a cup of wine with a fly in it. So he's recalling his, which is probably not a good idea to Pharaoh. You probably don't want to remind him of the time that you spent in the slammer for, you know, going against him, doing something he didn't like. You probably want to move on and, like, pretend it never happened. But he's saying, I'm recalling my mistakes, recalling my fault, recalling the time I spent in prison. He's also saying, on some level, that I recall my mistake in not mentioning Joseph earlier because I had promised him that I would put in a good word and, whoops, haven't done that yet. But now is a time as good as any to mention, to, to, to mention fair, uh, Joseph for the good. So he says, I was in prison. I was in the prison of the slaughter, the, 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 the chief slaughterer's prison. Me and the baker who's no longer with us. And we both, had a, we both had dreams depicting our destiny. We didn't know what it meant. And there was this guy, this Hebrew kid, this Hebrew youth, this Hebrew lad with us, and he gave us an interpretation. Verse 13, and it came to pass, or then things happened just as he had interpreted for us. Now, he was right. Pharaoh restored me to my position, and he hanged the chief baker. It, it, was, it was exactly as predicted by Joseph. Joseph got it 100% right. My dream, he said, was going to predict, uh, foretold the fact that I would be restored to my position, and so it was. And his dream foretold that he would be hanged, and it was. So he says to Pharaoh, I know a guy. You have dreams. You think they depict your, your destiny or the nation's destiny. You're not satisfied with the, with the interpretation that you have thus far. I got a guy. His name is Joseph. Let's continue. Verse 14. So... Pharaoh sent a messenger, and he called for Joseph. They rushed him from the dungeon. He cut his hair just for the king. He changed his prison garb into regular clothes, into respectable clothes, and he came to Pharaoh. So this is, of course, the big moment where Yosef, Joseph, stands before Pharaoh himself. Talk about a kid who rose out of nowhere. I mean, like as a slave and then a prisoner to now have an audience in front of the king where you're going to help the king, you're going to help Pharaoh, that's a pretty big deal. It's a pretty big deal. That's what's going on. All right, well, let's, let's continue immediately. I have a lot to say on this, but I want to continue the momentum of the narrative and then we'll go back. All right, this, now we're up to reading number two, Genesis chapter 41. Again, Torah portions of Miketz, Genesis chapter 41, 
verse number 15. Here we go. So Pharaoh said to Yosef, said to Joseph, I've had a dream, but there is no one to interpret it. In other words, no one is giving me anything that I can work with. But I've heard it said about you with certainty that you listen to a dream, understand it, and are then able to interpret it. You're a guy that knows dreams. You're a guy that can give interpretations of dreams. You get dreams and you can interpret dreams. I need your help because I have a dream that needs an interpretation. What does Yosef say back to him? Yosef says, verse 16, Yosef replied to Pharaoh saying, the wisdom to interpret dreams is not from me. God will put an answer that will appease Pharaoh into my mouth. This is unbelievable. You know, you would think this is your big chance at getting out of prison, impressing the king. You would think that Yosef would say, oh, me? Absolutely. I'm the best dream interpreter out there. You would think he would talk smack. Or not talk smack. You would think he would boast about himself, at least pat himself on the back and say, look, I know how to interpret dreams. No problem. I got you. You know, whatever. Just you know, let me out of prison full time and I can interpret dreams. You would think he would like do some of that self-promotion garnished. In fact, he takes it as a teaching opportunity to speak about Hashem, right? About his God. He says, God will give an answer that will bring peace to Pharaoh. God will give an answer and, I'll, and then I'm going to relay it. He uses this opportunity to, to be humble and to pass credit along to God and to speak about God to Pharaoh who was by all accounts, a massive polytheist, a pagan, you know, somebody who, ancient Egypt, pagan worship was just, I mean, just walk into the Natural Museum of History in, in Manhattan, and you'll see the artifacts from Egypt and all their gods depicted in their hieroglyphics. Yeah, I, I like that. I, you ever see the one in the hallway? They have yes. a massive one in the hallway. Yes. It has all these jackal heads yeah, and, so and human bodies. I mean, impressive. In the yeah, yeah, yeah. Awesome, that they, you know? yeah, it's, 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 you can imagine it's like a thousand years old. Right. It's very, it's very like awe inspiring to right. be there. But you just see how, how, how absolutely pagan the right. society was. So for Yosef, for Joseph to stand in front of Pharaoh and to say, You think I can interpret dreams? Hashem can interpret dreams, but he's going to bless me with the opportunity and with the, with the ability to answer you. That takes a lot of, a lot of, um, I don't know if chutzpah is the right word. It takes a lot of courage to, like, to break out God. Again, if he's at all defensive, if he's at all meek and, and humble and trying to like hide his Jew card, you know, he would mm -hmm. say, sure, I can interpret dreams. And, you know, and then, you know, God, what does it mean? All right, hey, this is what it means. You know, he would kind of like work it that way. But no, he calls out God. Yeah. But I mean, you know, that you could also, one might think that a response could be, who are you to say God talks to you? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. Pharaoh might say, you think you talk to God? Get out of here. You're right, Bubba Mice says, exactly. Yosef was very confident, but also very humble. It's this weird, not weird, it's this beautiful combination of, you know, just humility. But I'll tell you, it's also like a lack of... He doesn't care about putting out... He just says what he feels is the truth. Right, right, right. It's, 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 right. it's a lack of, it's not, it's not pompous, it's not about him, it's not a show, it's not a, it's not a whole, it's not dressed up anything beyond what it is. What it is is a guy who, who, who has perception, God-given perception, God-given you know, gift to really empathize. We know that from last week already, where the one day that the butler and the baker had a 
you know, dreams that were troubling them, he noticed that, he noticed their moods and said, hey, what's going on with your mood? Why are you so sad today? He's a guy that was very connected emotionally, very like his emotional, not only his IQ, but his EQ were very high. He's a guy that could, and, but he's very transparent. He's not about, it's not, it's, there's no bluff, there's no hot air, there's no ego, there's no, you know, it's not, it's not, he's not narcissistic. He's completely about, you know, being of service, being, being of help and, 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 uh, and pitching in. Anyway, so that's what's going on here. So he says to Pharaoh, yeah, God's got this, and, and God will share with me, and I'll share with you. She's being completely transparent. Let's continue verse 17. All right, so Pharaoh says to Yosef, I mean, so now he's going to launch into his dreams. So Pharaoh said to Yosef, and we're going we're to hear the dreams again, the words that we already know the dreams because the Torah told us what the dreams were, but now Pharaoh is going to repeat it to Yosef for the interpretation. Pharaoh said to Yosef, in my dream, look, I was standing on the bank of the Nile. Then look, seven well-built, nice-looking cows, the robust, healthy, fat cows, were coming up from the Nile, and they pastured in the marshland. Then look, seven other cows, verse 19, seven other cows were coming up after them, which were weak, very ugly-looking, and thin. Pharaoh um, editor editorializes here and says, I've never seen such bad cows throughout the entire land of Egypt. I've never seen such unhealthy cows. In Egypt, we have, we have healthy cows. Such unhealthy cows, never seen. So again, he's just re repeating the dream. Seven healthy cows, followed by seven unhealthy cows. <clears throat> Verse 20. And then the thin, ugly cows devoured. They swallowed up, consumed the seven healthy cows. Sorry, the first seven healthy cows. Verse 21. They were swallowed up inside them. And look what he adds. Look what he adds. The fat cows were swallowed up inside the, 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 the weak cows, the thin cows, but it wasn't recognizable that they'd, got inside, that they'd gone inside of them. They looked as ugly or as thin as they were to start with. And then I woke up. So here we have an interesting wrinkle. I don't believe that the Torah told us this when it was telling us the dreams of Pharaoh, this is a wrinkle that Pharaoh notices. It's that not only do the th seven thin cows eat, swallow up, consume the seven healthy cows, but it's that their appearance doesn't change. It's not like they get bigger because they swallowed a big cow. It's not like they get healthier because they swallowed a healthy cow. They consume the seven healthy ones, and there's no trace of the healthy ones. That's a very important detail, as we'll see in the interpretation. It's a very important detail of the dream. Then I woke. Let's continue verse 22. Verse 22. And then I saw in another dream. And behold, look, seven ears of healthy and good grain were growing on one stalk. And then look, seven thin ears of grain swallowed up the seven good ears of grain. So the same thing happened once again with the ears of grain as happened with the cows. Healthy ears, thin ears. I'm sorry, I think... Yeah, yeah, no, no, we're good. We're good. No, did I read this right? Seven ears of healthy grain were growing on one second. Look, seven ears of dehydrated grain parched by these wind. Did I read that? I don't remember if I read that. I, I, I feel like I skipped something, but... Either way. 
right? Seven ears of dehydrated grain parched by the east wind were growing up after them, then the, the ears of, of then the thin ears of grain sought up the seven good ears of grain. So we have the healthy ones, the unhealthy ones, the unhealthy ones eating up the healthy ones, and that's it. So Pharaoh continues. I told the sorcerers, I told all my dreams to the necromancer, the sorcerers, but no one tells me its meaning. No one is telling me a satisfactory explanation. No one's giving me the meaning. Verse 25. This is big. This is where Yosef becomes Yosef. I mean, this is where he, this is the key to his success right here. The following words. And Yosef said to Pharaoh, said to Pharaoh, Pharaoh's two dreams are one. They have a single meaning. You think you had two dreams. You had one dream. God has told Pharaoh what he's planning to do. Now, this is speaking Pharaoh's language, right? Look what he says. The two dreams are one. And what's the meaning of the dreams or the dream? God is telling you what he's going to do. Not just to you personally. Yeah, you seven daughters. God is telling you what he's going to do to the country. As the leader of the country, God is giving you insight into the country. And why is God giving you insight? Not to tell you doom and gloom, but to give you the tools that you need to prevent disaster that could happen if you don't act now. Let's continue. What's the, what's, what, is God, what is God planning on doing? Verse 26. The seven good cows are seven years and the seven ugly cows, sorry, the seven good cows are seven years, and the seven good ears of grain are the same seven years. It's one dream, right? It's one dream. So the good, the healthy cows and the healthy ears of grain, same seven years. The seven thin and ugly cows coming up after them are seven years also, as are the seven bare ears of grain beaten by the east wind. They will be seven years of famine. We're going to have in Egypt seven good years, healthy years, seven robust years of growth. The, the land is going to produce good and abundant crops. And then that will be followed by seven years of famine. Verse 28. It is as I have told Pharaoh. God has shown Pharaoh what he is about to do. What Joseph says is, this is exactly what I, I'm sorry, Joseph says to Pharaoh, God is telling you what he's going to do to the land. God is showing you what he is about to do. Verse 29. Look, behold, seven years are of, a, of great abundance are coming throughout the entire land of Egypt. The significance of the swallowing, as Rashi says, is that seven years of famine will follow after them when all the abundance in the land of Egypt will be forgotten, right? It's going to be so bad that you'll forget that there ever was abundance in the land. That's what it means that the seven uh, thin cows swallowed up the other ones, leaving no trace. The seven bad years, the seven lean years will be so lean, so traumatic that you'll forget all of the abundance that you had in the prior seven years. The famine will destroy the land, verse 31. The fact that it wasn't recognizable, that the thin cows that swallowed the fat cows means 
that the abundance will not be recognizable because of the famine that will follow, for it will be very severe. It will destroy the land. Verse 32. Why was it repeated? Why was it repeated twice, right? So Joseph said, the dream is the same dream. It's the same, it's the same message, you're just getting it twice. Why twice? So he explains that detail as well. Joseph in his interpretation is very thorough. Every detail is accounted for in his He doesn't go like, things will be good, things will be bad. No, he gets very detailed. Seven is years, and the, the fact that it swallowed one unrecognizable means that it'll be so traumatic, so, so difficult that you won't even remember the good part. The good years. And why was it repeated twice? He, he accounts for that detail as well. Um, concerning the repetition of the dream to Pharaoh, Joseph says, this is because the matter is ready before God and God is quickly going to carry it out. God is hastening to execute it. In other words, it's not something that's going to happen in a while that you're going to have seven good years followed by seven bad years. This is happening right now. Year one begins now. Now, Joseph says something that seems unprompted. Yes, Mark. I've read this several times in Rashi's too. It doesn't make sense to me why it's repeated. Which part? Uh, that the dream is repeated. He said it's because the matter stands ready before God, and God is hastening to do it. That's the same thing. What, what, do, we, what, what do you mean it's the same thing? Uh... It, it's, it's repeated. It is because why it's, why it's repeated, and Chumash says, or Torah says, it is, because, it is because the matter stands ready before God, and God is hastening to do it. Right, right, right. It's still repeat. It's still the same thing. Just you know, it's putting the accent on the same on a different syllable. It's still the same thing. Right. You're saying what is Rashi adding? Yeah, or in Torah, why, why is it, what Rashi says doesn't make sense either. It's like I don't understand why it was repeated. So you're at, so the Torah is explaining why it's repeated, but you're saying the Torah in explaining why it's repeated is repeating itself. Yeah. That's very meta. That's very meta of the Torah. Right? The Torah is explaining why the dreams are repeating themselves. And Joseph says, because the matter is ready before God and God is quickly going to carry it out. So what are those two points? Um, I, I don't know. I'm sure there's commentaries on it. I see here in the Chumash it says something interesting. The Rashbam says, that if you have a dream, the same dream that appears on two different nights back to back, it means that it's going to happen, but it doesn't necessarily mean that it's going to happen immediately. Whereas if it's two of the same dream on the same night, that means it's, it's ready to go. It's ready to roll out. Um, because the matter is ready before God and God is quickly going to carry it out, I guess it's in the hopper. And God is going to pull the trigger on it. I, I guess those are the two pieces of it. It's like it's ready to go, and God is right now rolling it out. Because sometimes th something can be ready to go, but we're just waiting on some other piece. It's ready to go, and God is making it happen. I may, to me, that's the simple meaning of the repetition of it, but I don't know. I'm sure there's a deeper thing. But again, the Rashbam says something interesting, that if you have a dream that repeats itself on two different nights, so that could tell you that it's that God is preparing this to happen, but it doesn't mean that it's necessarily going to roll out ASAP. It might, it, might, it might be a little while before that happens because you do have that gap in days between the two, between the repetition of the dream. But when a dream repeats itself twice in the same night, that means it's ready to go and it's going to roll out.
Um, I, 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 don't, I don't want to monopolize your time, but I guess to me the big point is is the gods above space and time. So pacing is very time oriented. Good. He doesn't have to hasten. He says it's done. You know. Right. I guess that means no. Good question. But I guess that means in our environment, right? It's ready from God, and it's going to happen in our timeline because you're, maybe your second question is answering your first question. In other words, like from God's perspective, it all, you know, time doesn't mean anything. So past, present, future, it's all one. So if, it's, if it happens today or tomorrow, it's not like God is stuck, is bound by that timeline. But we are. So maybe what it means is that it's ready from God's perspective and from our perspective. In other words, God has it ready to go, and even from our perspective, in our timeline, this is something that's going to be triggered in our realm of space and time. It's going to happen right now. It's going to be integrated in our pipeline now. Maybe. So maybe it's, so maybe it's not God is hasting to do it. It's more that it's about to happen. Right. Yeah. yeah. Ray, jump in. Yeah. Well, um, isn't it so that in repeating the dream that Pharaoh failed to mention that the emaciated cows came out of the River. That may be the case. If we look back at the dream, let's see. Yeah, growing up after them, but he doesn't mention... That the emaciated cows emerged from the river. Let's see. That's in verse. Yeah. Um, he doesn't mention the Nile. Correct. You are right. Yeah. Is there an insight on that? Yes. And it also said because Egypt considered the Nile as a god. Right. The Pharaoh, yeah. He avoided talking about it. He avoided talking about the Nile, you're saying Pharaoh did, because he wanted to... Um, he avoided the connotation that something ugly... And ah, would, interesting. Would um, emanate from the uh, gods. Did they considered. I like that. They considered, yeah. I like that. So when he and tells, course, I love that. Who says that? Uh, it says Kleakar. Beautiful. Yeah, Kleakar and the Akeda. Two, two different commentaries, but that's beautiful. So the Kleakar is saying, thank you for sharing that. Kleakar is saying that. When Pharaoh tells the dreams to Yosef, he doesn't mention that the thin cows came out of the Nile because the Nile is their god. So thin cows yeah. emanating from the Nile doesn't look good for the Nile. So Pharaoh wants to be in denial <laughs> of imperfection, right? Pretending like nothing, pretending like nothing bad is ever possible from the Nile River. And all right, it is what it is. Good, excellent. Um, but now, now we're poised to read. The big, the big, um, to me, what's the big statement of Yosef? Which is verse 33. Because now we move away, what se at least it seems like we're moving away from interpretation and moving into the action plan, which seems to be a little bit outside of the job description of Yosef. Yosef was pulled out of the pit, pulled out of the dungeon, to interpret the dreams. Well, he interpreted the dreams seven years of plenty, followed by seven years of famine. The famine is going to be so bad, you'll forget you ever had years of plenty. Okay? Got it. 
But he doesn't stop there. Verse 33. And now he says, Pharaoh should select, Pharaoh should seek out and choose a person who is understanding and wise. Ish, Navon, Vechacham. A person that has Bina and Chachma, understanding and wisdom. And appoint him over the land of Egypt. Verse 34. Pharaoh should enact that he appoint officials over the land and prepare the land of Egypt during the seven years of abundance. Verse 35. Let them collect all the food from these coming seven good years and let them gather the grain under Pharaoh's control, food guarded in the storehouses. The food, verse 36, the food that is stored will thus remain as a reserve for the land for the seven years of famine which will be in the land of Egypt so that the land will not be destroyed by the famine. This is Yosef's advice. This is his pitch to Pharaoh. Here's what you need. You need a man. You need someone who's wise. Someone who's understanding wise. coming from him, not from God. So once I'm going to share with you how it is also coming from the dream as well. I'll give you give me a second. So, so Joseph says, now that you know the problem, you're going to have good years, five by seven lean years, and it's going to undo all the gains of the good years. The market's going to tank. God forbid, right? But the, the food is going to tank so much that you're not going to have anything left. So here's what you need to do. You need to appoint someone who has Bina and Chachma, someone who's understanding and wise. Appoint him over this, over the whole land. And let him put officials over the entire land. In other words, let's get, let's, let's create a system here and collect all the surplus food. Maybe even not surplus. Collect the food during the seven years of plenty, stored away in a way that's viable to remain, and thus will have enough food in the years of plenty. In modern economic terms, it would be the notion of savings. Save, right? When you're earning money, engage in the act of saving money and savings. Invest in your savings. Take the money that's coming in, right? When there's plenty of money, so to speak. When money, when there's income, take the money that's coming in and put a lot of it away. And then when there's no more money coming in, you'll have what to live off of. So when the food is coming in, put away from the food that you could have for life. That seems very basic. Seems very elementary. But who knows to what extent anyone was doing any saving back in the day. I mean, the notion of saving is not necessarily intuitive, right? Think about how you and I, human beings, have to be taught or have to learn um, healthy saving uh, skills and value and the value of saving. It's not necessarily intuitive. It's if like you have, you want to. Sp- folly. No one, it's hard. You don't it's want hard. To, you want right. Me to right. Short term versus long term. Yeah. But we don't think long. Okay. Again, some people are more, you know, nat- naturally thinking long term. So, but but by and large, many of us, many human beings, think short term. You have it. Great. And who's right? It's, it's, who wants to think about a rainy days and and famines? Uh, who, right, what I have now, I'm good. Right. And we're not thinking about that. So Pharaoh says to, to, to sorry, Joseph, Yosef says to Paro, Yosef says to Pharaoh, he says, look, now that, you, now that God has shared with you, behind, you know, pull back the veil, and you now know what's, what's coming up, you got the seven years of plenty, followed by the seven years of famine, now you know what you need to do. You need someone in charge of this program to save the food for those seven years of famine. That's it. 
Now, I, I said before, this seems to be Yosef going off script and giving his own advice. You know, now that we have the interpretation of the dreams, now let me give you some friendly advice. The Rebbe says, is that what he was doing? Was he just offering his own unsolicited advice like from the slave, from the slave prisoner, yeah, the prisoner slave, the Jewish, the Hebrew prisoner slave is going to offer Pharaoh some unsolicited, you know, business advice or, 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 or rulers? No, 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 no. The Rebbe says this was still interpreting the dream. This was not off script. This was still the interpretation of the dream. What, 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 what part of the dream is he interpreting? There's one detail that remained unaccounted for until Joseph gave this advice. One detail that remained unaccounted for. And that is that when the cows emerged from the Nile River, there were the big cows and then the thin cows. And I mentioned this before. I dropped these breadcrumbs before. They stood side by side. They stood side by side. There was a moment in time where you had all seven healthy cows and seven thin cows at the same time. And that doesn't make sense. Because in the interpretation, you first have seven years of plenty and then seven years of famine and there's no overlap. Are you with me on this? There's no overlap. You have seven years of plenty and then those are gone and then you have seven years of famine. What does it mean that they were standing shoulder to shoulder, all 14 cows at the same time? So Joseph says, you know what the meaning of that is? That when you're dealing with the seven um, healthy cows, you have to put the seven unhealthy cows next to them. In other words, have in mind the seven unhealthy years, the seven years of famine, while you're living those seven years of plenty. And when you do so, then vice versa. Then when you're in the seven years of famine, you'll be enjoying from the seven years of plenty. Thus, they will be side by side. They will, when it's going well, you'll be thinking of when it's not going to go so well. And when it's not going so well, you'll be pulling from when it went well. Thus, they will be standing side by side. Because if you do it sequentially, if you just enjoy those seven years of plenty, and then come, comes along the seven years of famine, you'll be devastated. The fact that in the dream, all seven stood in L14, stood next to each other, means that you should prepare from one to the other. Yeah? You know, I love to see, I love to put things in perspective of Judaism's gifts to the world. So strategic oil reserves, Correct. <laughs> strategic reserves, oil reserves, strategic right. planning, the idea of recognizing that it's not always going to look like this. You know, or whatever it is, it's not always going to look like this. What, you know, when, when things are going well, don't get too high with the highs because you got to know that at some point it's going to dip. So you got to prepare for the dip. That means you're living with the dip even when things are good. And conversely, you're living with the good even when things dip. And that's what it means side by side. So did, did Joseph just go off script and say, and, and, and apply for a job for himself and say, hey, you really should get on this, Pharaoh. I think you should really be proactive. No. He was telling him brilliantly another layer to the dream. What he's telling Pharaoh also is very empowering. He says, Pharaoh, you got the insight. You got the full. God has blessed you. God has honored you with a peek behind the veil, behind the curtain. Not only what the problem is going to be, but what the solution is. God is telling you everything. All you need to do is roll it out. But you got everything. You know what's, you know what's coming up. Good, fall by famine. You know what to do. Save. All you need to do is roll it out. Now this astonishes Pharaoh. He heard, but yeah, seven nations you're going to conquer. Seven nations are going to rebel. He heard all these things. I'm thinking, 
Nothing resonated. This was bigger than that. He hears this. Every corner of the dream is accounted for. Every detail, every prat, every, every seemingly insignificant minor detail is accounted for brilliantly. It's like you're learning something. You're reading something, like an exposition on Torah, right? And, and every word, letter, the verse is accounted for, and you just cannot be. You just cannot be anything other than blown away at the brilliance of the interpretation. And this is where Joseph's at. Joseph Sorry, where Pharaoh's at. Pharaoh is absolutely floored by this. Let's just read it inside, and then I want to go back to some themes that I told you I was going to go back to. Verse 37, page 275. The matter pleased Pharaoh and all his servants. In other words, it wasn't just Pharaoh, but everyone else had to, had to, had to acknowledge that this Jewish kid was right. Verse 38. So Pharaoh turns to the servants and says, Yeah, even if we tried, would we find anyone like this, a man who has God's spirit in him? He's like, look at this guy. This guy's got it going on. This, this kid knows what's going on. Okay, this is Yosef. By the way, at this point in time, how many years was Yosef in Egypt? He was in Egypt at least 10 years, maybe 12 years now. He was there a, a decent amount of time. Second, seven plus two is nine plus ten is 19 plus two. Yeah, he's there about 10, 10 to 12 years. He's already in Egypt, away from home. So he's now somewhere between 27 and 30 years old. Now, I'm giving you a range just because I don't know exactly what it is, but it's brought down in the books, whatever. I'm just, I don't recall it right now. But he's in the range of 27 to 30 years old. So relatively a young guy. He's a young guy, Jewish kid, slave, in prison, right? He was not only a slave, but he was also a, a prisoner in this dungeon. And um, he comes up big, he comes up huge. I, I want to circle back very quickly because it's already 103. We'll just do very quickly. Give me like two minutes. And uh, I want to speak about dreams for a moment because we find this theme, the theme of dreams, consistently throughout the, the, the Joseph story. Again, I'll just say it again. He has two dreams of his own. The butler and the baker have two dreams. Pharaoh has two dreams. They're coming in twos and very dream heavy, very dream centric. What's the meaning of a dream? So a dream is really a paradox. Because on the one hand, it's a state of paradox. On the one hand, your, your mind is functioning. You're aware of something, you're dreaming, you're conscious of something. But on the other hand, your mind is not operating in a normative fashion. Because you dream of, of things that don't make any sense. Your dreams, you, know, you dream of things that, that like when you wake up, you're like, oh yeah, so I then won a million, oh wait, no, I didn't do that actually. Hold on, whoa, right, that doesn't make any sense. And you dream of, whatever, everyone's got different dreams, but, but dreams typically don't necessarily make a lot of sense. So it's this paradox of being aware, but really not being aware. It's a paradox of things kind of functioning, but not exactly as they ought to. It says in Kabbalah that when we're awake, the head is higher than the heart, and the head and heart are higher than the extremities, right? You stand up, and there's a, there's a, a way that the body works, the hierarchy of the body. When we lie down to sleep, everything's on one level, right? 
unless you have one of those temperpedic beds that kind of right, uh, pops, pops your head up. But otherwise, you know, when you lie down to sleep, you are horizontal. You got your head on the same level as your heart, on the same level as your hands and feet, and everything's on the same level. That represents a state of existence where things are a little bit topsy-turvy, where the head's not in control and the heart could be in control or the hands could be in control, whatever it is, but it's not, it's not, a norm, it's not, a, it's not an ideal peak state of, of humanity. It's not a place where you're in control. It's a place where things are a bit topsy-turvy. This is reflected in the dreamlike state where, you know, when, when we're awake, our rational mind controls. So we don't think of, we're not thinking of things that don't make sense because immediately our, our brain rejects it and says, that doesn't make sense. That's crazy. You got to think rationally. The head is higher than the heart, than the hands and the feet. So the head controls things. But when the head is on the same level, when we dream, then all bets are off. The mystics liken exile to a dream. Because how could the world exist in a, pla- in a state where God is hidden? How could it be that God is hidden? How could it be that evil prospers? How could it be that darkness rules the night? How could it be that, or sometimes rules the day even, how could it be that, that the Jewish people are exiled? Like how, do I was, how is any of this possible? How could anything hold back God? How do we not see the truth? How do we not feel love and feel respect? How do we not act like a mensch 24-7? How is it possible? The answer is, because we're in exile. What is exile? Not only we're in exile, God's in exile, self-imposed, but God's in exile. That means that things are not the way they should be. How is that possible? So here's where the Kabbalists use the example of a dream. It's like a dream. It's like a dream where things don't make sense. How could God be hidden? How could a person live 120 years of life and, and, and not believe in God or not think that there's a God that runs it? How is that even possible? Welcome to the dream. Not in a good way. Welcome to the dream state of existence where things are upside down and things don't make sense. And the truth, people laugh at the truth and people celebrate that which is false, right? Reality shows that are completely false, people love. And truth, no one has time for. It's like, how, do, how, do, how does that happen? It's called the dream state. According to Kabbalah, it's the dream. In the book of Psalms, it says, when Mashiach comes, then we will rejoice because hayinu kechomim, we will, be, we will have been like dreamers. We will finally wake up, when Mashiach comes, we'll finally wake up and look back and say, ay, that was a crazy dream. All of that pain, all that suffering, all that hardship, all of that, the, 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 the confusion, it was all a dream. Now we're going to see everything with clarity. When Mashiach comes, we'll see everything with clarity. That's, that's the matrix. It's the matrix. Good. Yeah. It's the matrix. Where everything is, everything is fake. And then we finally wake up to see the truth. Yeah, Kabbalah Matrix begins next. We're going to go a lot deeper uh, starting next week, um, next Tuesday night, um, uh, December 7th. But here's, here's the big idea. Yosef is the one who kickstart the exile. Yosef, Joseph is the one who first goes out to Egypt. Then his family follows, slavery follows, and suddenly the Jewish people, the Jewish family, Am Yisrael, B'nai Yisrael, are suddenly not able to do what they need to do because they're enslaved to, to the man, to Pharaoh. The story of Joseph is the origin story of exile and the origin story of the dream. And so thus it's appropriate that as the story of exile begins, 
what plays the key factor, what plays a key role, what, 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 what is front and center on our screen, it's the dreams. He has dreams, the butler and the baker have dreams, Pharaoh has dreams. Why? To remind us that this entire reality is but a matrix dream. It's not, it's not truth. It's not, it's not real life. It seems real. It seems real. But a world in which God is hidden, where evil prevails over good, where distractions become so exciting that they take over real life. A, a world in which the metaverse, yeah, like Facebook, right? The metaverse, for those that don't know, Facebook rebranded itself as a company to meta. A world in which the metaverse could supplant the real universe, that's a world of dreams. And so we're reminded, just like we got into the dream, we got into Egypt with a dream, it's our job to get out of Egypt by waking up. Waking up. It's not, not as easy as it sounds. No quick snap of the finger. But we got to wake up and see things for what they really are, see the truth where it is, recognize that this is a facade. The only true reality is God. Ein od movado. When we have that vision, we pierce through the exile, and, uh, and, and everything has is, is changed. All right, thank you for joining me today. We'll, we'll end it here for DBP. We got much more to cover this week. So as we celebrate the first day of Hanukkah, let's remember a few things. Number one, don't ever discount the power of one solitary candle to make a difference. You have one flame, light it up. Number two, recognize that oftentimes the challenge is only the appearance of a challenge. Because in truth, there's something beyond. The challenge exists when we're stuck inside the dream. It's like, imagine a dream where you have a dilemma and you're not sure what to do. Then you wake up and you're like, oh, I guess I don't have that dilemma, right? It was just a dream. You ever have that? You ever have a dream like that where you're like debating a decision or you're struggling with something and then you wake up and it's like, oh, I actually don't have that problem at all. That was just in the dream. So may we wake up to recognize that a lot, of, a lot of the things that we worry about are all part of that dreamlike reality and or dreamlike state and let us pierce through that to live high definition HD 8K reality ruled, powered by God on this beautiful holiday of Hanukkah. Good. Questions, comments? All right. Good. So tonight is night number two of Hanukkah. Chabad in town does not have a holiday celebration. I don't think we have a lighting tonight. Tomorrow night we do have one at Atlantic Station. Thursday night is Pont City Market. Sunday evening, next Sunday is Decatur. Join us for all of those. There is also a concert tonight in Sandy Springs. Um, City Springs or something like that. In Sandy Springs, like downtown Sandy Springs, there's like this area, this newly developed area. There's an, a, an outdoor concert, so bundle up if you wish to join. The concert is going to be performed by music played by Eighth Day, a Jewish band. I actually know very well the members of the band, good music, good Jewish music. And um, if you're looking for a Hanukkah party, you can definitely join that Hanukkah party tonight. All right? If you need any menorah equipment, if you need any candles, menorahs, dreidels, donuts, gelt, chocolate gelt, or otherwise, let me know. We can help make it happen. Okay. 
Ray, Sarah, great to see you, Mark and Olia, Chanukah Sameach, and Donna, Chanukah Sameach. See you guys soon. Take care, everybody. Pleasure. Take care, everybody. It's not pretty this color. It's like a Jeopardy.